extend a welcome to you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Special welcome to John. Good to have him back from Haiti. Been doing a series of messages, seven important marks in time. So I want to continue that this morning. We're at our our sixth point, and that being the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, as I meditated on that, I thought, well, that's that's a dark and gloomy uh, subject to talk about. You know, we, we typically tend to focus more on the resurrection. And I don't want to minimize, the resurrection is important, and that without the resurrection, the cross wouldn't have its significance. But yet it's part of that process. So this morning, that's uh, my goal, is to give us a glimpse of, of uh, what took place at the cross that our Lord and Savior suffered on in just a small, small way. The cross actually is only mentioned in the New Testament uh, by word only, and according to Strong's. It's mentioned 17 times in the four Gospels and then 10 more times mostly in Paul's epistles uh, and one time in Hebrews. And uh, I was meditating on the cross. I was uh, actually, as I thought about the cross, I thought, you know, how often do we sing about the cross of Jesus Christ? Um, so I pulled the three hymn books that I had at home there, which would be the Christian hymnary, uh, the Christian hymnal and the Zion's praises. According to some of you, I'm probably off balance in my hymn selections, but uh, that's what I have. In, uh, in our hymn books, in the Christian hymnal, there's nine, in the topical index, that's what I went by, there's nine song selections dedicated to the cross, and then there's eight more dedicated to cross-bearing, which would re reflect to us and our lifestyle uh, that God calls us to. Uh, now, there was some, some cross numbers in that. You know, there was some that fit either category, so uh, keep that in mind, too. In the Christian hymnary, and I was a little surprised at, at that one. I, I really thought the Overholtz went back more to the Anabaptist selection of songs, didn't they? At least that was my impression. But, you know, then as I thought about that, I thought, you know, maybe that's a little too near to, to be singing about it, maybe. I don't know. Uh, there was only two, actually, that there was only two selections in the topic index assigned to the cross. But then there was 18 on cross-bearing. And Zion's praises surprised me the most. There was 39 selections under the topic index of, of the cross, and then 31 on cross-bearing. And uh, so I, th I found that fascinating, interesting, that, uh, you know, those are, are hymns that we sing from time to time. And how glibly do those expressions come off our lips? And do we stop and, and meditate and think what we're singing about? Why is it so important? Why is the cross experience so important? And I'm, I'm giving this uh, an important mark in time. And uh, I guess I think about the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, what gives it its, its importance in the, in the New Testament, we can read about enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. There are those that would like to take away from that experience, that, that sacrifice, that, that, that event that took place that really changed the course of history for mankind as our Lord and Savior gave his life broken and, and brutally wounded and, and uh, you know, there for a sacrifice for our sins. And that's why it's so important. It's a story 
that it's an experience that needs to be retold. It needs to be needs to grip my heart and your heart as followers of Jesus Christ this morning. The price that redemption cost. It, it that's actually what it does. It gives us a glimpse of of the, the price of our redemption. I, I also found it interesting. Even our well-known neighbor, world-renowned neighbor to the east of us here, Mayo Clinic, actually had an article on the physical death of Jesus Christ published in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in 1986. And uh, so I, I looked that up and, and uh, printed it out and, and uh, reviewed some of the... Uh, now, this is given from a medical standpoint. You know, they're, they're in the upper echelon of uh, health care. And that was some of the thoughts that they projected. They said, here was Jesus, who was a, a forerunner of, of, of healing. And, uh, you know, if, if only they could mimic, uh, well, they, they do to a certain degree, but not to the extent that Jesus did. Jesus healed the, the soul of man rather than just the physical. Mayo Clinic cannot do anything with the soul. This was uh, condensed from the Departments of Pathology by Dr. Edwards and uh, uh, a medical artist, medical graphics, uh, a Mr. Homer, uh, from Mayo Clinic here in Rochester, and the Homestead United Methodist Church in Rochester, and West Bethel United Methodist Church in Bethel, Minnesota. Uh, they talked about a number of the things that led up to this cross experience. Uh, they mentioned Gethsemane, and uh, they, of course, bring in the, uh, the uh, importance that the writer of the, of the Gospel of Luke was a physician, and uh, they describe, uh, they go back to the Gethsemane Garden experience, how that he mentions, Luke specifically mentions that he, he sweat drops of blood. And they give some medical uh, uh, terminology that that indeed would be possible. And uh, talk about the, the trials, the Jewish trial that he went through. Uh, soon after daybreak, presumably at the temple, Jesus was tried before the religious Sanhedrin with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And again, he was, found he was found guilty of blasphemy in, according to the Jewish law, which was a crime punishable by death. And so they were seeking that death penalty, uh, the Jews were. However, as they were under Roman rule at that time, they could not bring about that execution they wanted without him facing a Roman trial. So they sent him over to uh, the Romans, uh, Pilate, uh, for permission to uh, carry out this execution. He was presented to Pilate and was found... Uh, he was presented not as a blasphemer, which was what their courts had found him guilty of, but rather as a self-appointed king who would undermine Roman authority. And I found that interesting. And, you know, I know that, I read that, and, uh, you know, but they were playing games there. So they found him guilty in their courts of blasphemy, but when they bring him to the Roman courts, they say, well, this guy's a king. You know, they were manipulating things so that it would, it would, it would, they could arrive at their desired end. However, we know this Pilate, of course, could find no charges against him and send him, seeming to uh, pass the responsibility on, responsibility on uh, turn him over to Herod. Herod likewise made, was not willing to make any official charges against Pilate and uh, sent him back again to Pilate, where Pilate caved in to the pressure of the mobs and uh, committed him to be uh, granted their demand, handed him over to Jesus to be flogged and scourged and crucified. Some of the things that I, I think about is, as Jesus and um, it was the last Sunday some of the some of the Byler children were here maybe was it last Sunday they were here 
Dawson's children were down there. One of the things I never, I've never forgotten, and this is just a personal memory I have, uh, their uncle Clovis and Miriam were one of the first years we lived out here. They were down at the Mayo Clinic, going through the Mayo Clinic. Clovis had heart issues, and I, I know it was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Lois went to Bible school with Miriam and Clovis, probably both. And so they came out after it was after church. They came up for lunch and stuff, and we were visiting there together. He was he was 33, I believe, at the time, or almost 33 at the time. And as we sat and visited there, I was his testimony has I've never forgotten his testimony. And he said, you know, he said I I look at the life of Jesus Christ and the 33 short years that he he ministered here in this earth. And uh, you know, I was a young farmer, had aspirations to farm for many years, and here was this young man about my age and giving his testimony. He had he had no guarantee of of how long he was going to live, and. Uh, I'm not sure how long he would have lived after that. Uh, he uh, had a burden for the lost, and uh, he uh, relocated from Minnesota to New York City. And uh, can't think of the name of the mission. Anyone help me on that one? <laughs> Roth is there. Anyway, he was distributing tracks. He was on his way to distribute tracks, uh, meet somebody, had a handful of tracks, and dropped over dead. And as he dropped over dead, the handful of tracks went scattering out across the sidewalk and the street there in New York City. But uh, his testimony, just, it just, I've never forgotten that testimony. There he was, a man about my age, and uh, so overwhelmed with the shortness of time to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, it just, it just uh, impressed me to no end to uh, realize how, you know, what really is important in life. And... Uh, it seemed that he maybe had a somewhat of an inkling that he probably didn't have very long to live. I, I don't know, but yet that was what his testimony was. He said, my, my time may be short. And uh, thinking about the health of Jesus. Now, we know Jesus knew his, his time was coming. And, uh, you know, I, as I researched some of this out, uh, we get mental pictures probably from artists sometimes, and we get the picture of the cross that he was crucified on, probably looking something like this on our uh, podium here. Uh, history and scholars, according to archaeological archeolo uh, yeah, discovery, would indicate probably the Roman cross, there was some like that, but probably the Roman cross didn't have that top section on. It was just simply a, a post with a crossbar, and that was the top, without the, uh, uh, the, up, the vertical upright post sticking up above the uh, horizontal cross member. And there were uh, different heights. And actually, they suggest that, uh, again, this is not, the Bible doesn't give us this information. This is just simply what I researched out from, from uh, history. Uh, they suggest that when Jesus carried his cross, and when the typical criminal carried his cross, it was just that cross member that he carried. And they said that was any, weighed anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. Is that the total cross would have probably weighed over 300 pounds, which would have probably limited a man's ability to carry it at all. Again, that's just for what it's worth. And as he carried it, his, the criminal's arms were typically outstretched, and that member was laid across the nape of his neck, and his arms were tied. And so his, he went uh, from the point of, uh, of his uh, court to the court to the point of execution. He was carrying that, that member, that... Uh, but one of the things that I thought as I was meditating on this, you know, Jesus was known to be the carpenter's son, and I don't know what his carpentry was. 
Uh, but, you know, they, they mentioned the idea that it's probably not the first timber he carried. Uh, but, you know, so he had a well-acquainted knowledge of working with wood. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the carpenters in, in the time of Christ didn't have the Lowe's to go to or the Root River Hardwoods uh, outlet or the Menards. You know, they had, a, they had to procure their own uh, wood. So he, he knew trees probably. If he was indeed worked with his father, Joseph, in the carpenter's shop, he knew the, the, the elements of, and, uh, of wood and, and uh, you know, what, uh, what all was involved in it. And uh, he was probably very uh, physically uh, strong because of his vocation at that point. However, we realize that the last part of his, his life was given an earthly ministry, and it was probably, uh, as he, we think of the uh, emotional stress that he was going through at, at, the, time of his, uh, at the time of his trial here, uh, the abandonment of his disciples, you know, you know, that has an impact on us. We, we have friends that we think we can count on and they desert us. Uh, think of the emotional uh, impact that very likely had him. And then he had the physical beating, the scourging that the Jews at the Jewish trial. Uh, and then also the sleepless night in the Garden of Eden when he was praying in, in, in uh, agony that if it would be not, uh, if it be God's will, that this cup would pass from him. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so those were things that physically were draining on him, perhaps. Uh, he may have been, perhaps, you know, weakened to a, a certain point physically. Uh, again, I don't know how to reconcile all that with, with him being God. Uh, you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can identify it from a, from, from a man's standpoint, from a human standpoint. You know, we, we sometimes, you know, we get shortened up with a nighttime of rest, and we feel tired and weak. And... Uh, Christ was in the physical body. How that all impacts his ability to take stress and pressure, I don't know. <laughs> it's something we'll have to talk about in glory. Uh, the scourging that took place uh, was legal primarily to every Roman execution. Uh, only women and Roman senators or soldiers were exempt from the, the Roman scourging, except when soldiers were uh, guilty of desertion. Uh, and the usual, the usual instrument was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs, variable in length with small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bone uh, tied in those leather thongs. And then they were, they were lashed across the back and, and down the backs of the legs while their arms were likely tied up to a, a scourging post and uh, scourged, driving in deep wounds, likely drawing, drawing blood. Again, uh, the extent of, of blood loss may well have been determined, uh, may well have determined how long a victim would have survived on the crucifixion or on the cross as well. The nails, this is as close as I can come. This is actually an old railroad nail. And according to scholars, they say that it, this probably was pretty close to the size, maybe only another, maybe two inches longer than this yet. But if I was asked, if I would ask for volunteers to have this driven through your hands and your feet this morning, you know, it would it would be painful. And I don't think I have any volunteers that would, especially this one. And I'm I'm assuming the ones that were driven through through our Lord's hands and feet were not uh, exactly sanitary either. 
but they said they were very likely from what they found in, in archaeological work that they were square and uh, very thick, about three-quarter, half to three-quarter inch thick. And uh, then as they were hammered, hammered through the cross, they were blunted on the other side just so they could not be pulled on. I can't imagine the pain that you would feel trying to, to bend a nail over. Now, maybe their metal was softer than this. I don't know. I haven't tried to bend that one. Actually, I, I borrowed that one from Darren this morning. So, uh, But, uh, you know, you think of the pain and the suffering that our Lord went through on, on Calvary, on the cross. And, uh, you know, it, it needs to, it, it serves to, to get our attention of what he has done for you and I this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. I mentioned that uh, you know the cross is not mentioned in the the Old Testament, but we have here by the uh, through the prophet Isaiah a very 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 descriptive portrayal of what our Lord was going to experience. And this is a familiar passage. Uh, if you went to any Christian day school, you very likely at some point in time or Bible school you probably had to memorize this. This is one of the ones I had to memorize. And uh, I could uh, quote portions of it. I'm not, I'd be pretty rough if I started from the beginning. But I'm going to ask you to read this with me in unison this morning. Isaiah chapter 55, the entire chapter. It's only 12 verses long. But I want you to read it slowly and think about what is being said as we read this passage of Scripture. And again, this is prophetically being to- foretold. Uh, before the actual experience happened. But yet I like the beauty of it, the way that it's worded. Isaiah chapter 53, read with me. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor commonness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, 
for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. If you look at that passage of Scripture, it, it ought to move you to a life of commitment, a life of service for the Lord Jesus Christ. He hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, wounded for our personalizing and our transgressions. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. In conclusion, as far as the Mayo article that I was quoting, one of the things that I, I found interesting is since the actual cause of death by, of course, they're looking at it from a medical standpoint. And I want to, <laughs> we have nurses here, we have uh, people that are in the medical field. The, the actual cause of death by crucifixion was multifactorial and varied somewhat with each case, but the two most prominent causes were likely from exhaustion or uh, shock or perhaps uh, dehydration or congestive heart failure. And as I thought about that medical diagnosis, I had to think of the scripture that we, we read that he, was, he gave his life a ransom for many. Uh, again, uh, what happened, we don't have a medical terminology. The scripture doesn't tell us what happened. But uh, he gave his life. We do know that. The scripture tells us that he gave his life. And uh, from a physical standpoint, what happened, I can't explain that. But he gave his life. And uh, could he will his heart to stop? I think Jesus could have, but in any event, he did not have to go through any of this. And that, to me, is, is what ought to grip us, I believe, is the fact that he was not worthy of that, and he did not have to do that, but yet he did it out of his, what we were talking about in the Sunday school lesson, because of his, his love for us. I don't know how many of you uh, caught the article on the uh, recent Paris event there where the uh, nurse was uh, in the cafe there with the suicide bomber, uh, one of the nurses, of course, you know, their natural inclination was he started ministering help to those that were wounded. And he came to the one he realized later, after it was all done, as he started to uh, do CPR, I think, on him, he realized that, hey, this, this victim has wires here on him. And he was the actual suicide bomber, and he got, that was attempting to resuscitate him. And uh, he said the police later told him, I was reading his testimony, the police later told him that actually his, his entire vest had not totally detonated yet. And there he was, administering uh, unknowingly, uh, uh, you know, it's trying to uh, resuscitate him. It just, uh, it just, uh, you know, it, uh, it makes you wonder. Jesus was not able to carry his cross, and uh, Simon of Cyrene was summoned to carry his cross. And uh, the procession, I wanted to do some more research on, on the history of what we knew about Simon of Serene, but I, I didn't get that done. I forgot about it until I was sitting here this morning. I thought, you know, I forgot to, to look that up and see what, uh, what the history was in regards to that. But I, you know, I can only imagine, you know, would have I been willing to carry that cross for my Lord? And, you know, he calls us to that. In reality, he does, calls us. He says he, he that's willing, he that wants to follow him has to take up his cross. Now, we don't believe it's a, a literal cross. Uh, I think Albert tells a story of a man that he saw carrying a cross along the roadside uh, many years ago and uh, doing it uh, simply for the uh, reminder that, uh, of what Christ had, had done for him. 
Uh, I think there's probably other things, better things to do than physically walking the road with a cross, but uh, I will not be the judge of that. The verses I was referring to in Matthew chapter 20, and I may just turn to them, those verses, Matthew chapter 20, I want to read them in their entirety. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 29, very, uh, as we think of what Christ has done for us. Matthew 20, verse, uh, breaking in at verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Did they know what they were saying? I don't think so. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the, turn, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority over them. But he shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And they departed from Jericho, a great... And a great multitude followed him. Stop reading there. But again, Jesus clearly identifying that if we want to be of any worth in his kingdom, we have that servant attitude that Christ had. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man. God calls us this morning to, to uh, be bearers of his cross in serving others. And uh, so I challenge you with that this morning. Okay, the question I, I want to ask about, uh, you know, why? Why would, why would Christ do that? Why would Christ suffer the, and, you know, execution is, is said to be one of the, the, the horriblest and most torturous death anyone at any time in history could have experienced was to be crucified. There's nothing that even remotely close to such a barbaric death Apparently, as crucifixion was. The Romans had stolen the idea from the ancient Persians, and Alexander the Great introduced the idea to the Greek Empire. But these forms of death were given only to parents and the worst of criminals. In the Roman Empire, the crucified person would be left hanging on the cross for several hours for the continued torture that, that they experienced. Now, why would someone subject themselves to that type of a death? Uh, well, it comes down to, to value. And uh, I was thinking about that as we think about why Christ did that. He did that for the value of, of our souls, to redeem our souls back to the Father. Um, you know, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see as God created mankind there, it says he created, he created them, and then he breathed into them the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Uh, there in the garden, that's very black and white. After God breathed into them, after God breathed into Adam and Eve, Man became a living soul. Uh, when, when does a newborn infant become a living soul? Uh, when do they get their souls? Well, our, our world today is asking those questions today. And uh, 
When did uh, we have numerous small little children here? When did they get their souls? Well, I'd like to suggest they get it. They have it at conception, and uh, we need to guard that with all seriousness, I believe. And uh, anything less than that is going to lead to a life of uh, uh, less than what God intended it to be. You know, it raises a whole lot of other issues of questions. Um, God knows can divide between the spirit and the soul, these verses here. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the mar, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God can discern uh, where the soul stops and where it starts. And uh, God, is, of course, I believe, as we have the breath of human life in us as parents and as we... Uh, are uh, bringing children into the world that that is past, breath of life is passed on to them. Jesus said in Matthew uh, sixteen twenty six, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And uh, so Jesus here is trying to help us to understand the worth of a soul. Uh, do I have that valuation system? You know, I have to think about the, uh, you know, as we think about the uh, uh, New York Stock Exchange, you know, there's a, there's a commodity market that's determining the value of different, multiple different stocks and bonds and, and metals. And, uh, you know, the other, there's other stock exchanges in the world. There's, is there one in Shanghai, Tokyo? I'm not sure where all they are. That's beyond my world of function. But, and that's all right. I guess the closest I could think that I came to uh, any type of an ex stock ex or any type of a commodity exchange was the time we took a field trip uh, up to the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, and uh, you know it was it was a pretty dull day that day. <laughs> I think we'd have more fun playing pit on the floor that day. But uh, it was past its prime. It was done. I think it has closed since. Is that correct? It has closed since. Uh, it was. It had its heyday back probably in the. I forget what the years were. Probably back in the 30s and 40s, when all the grain was brought from the West Dakotas and West Feather and an exchange there at, at Minneapolis. It was a regional grain center, and uh, but, you know, that was determining the value of the grain. Uh, you know that that set the price for the market, and uh, so I, I'm saying that in relation to what actually determines the value of a soul. Uh, you know, Jesus here said, well, you know, what, comparing the, the worth of a soul to, to, to more than the worth of the whole world. And I, I don't know what the whole world would be worth if we calculated it all out, calculated the metals, the oils, and the real estate. What would it be worth? Uh, I don't know. It would be a number we couldn't comprehend. Uh, but, you know, here's God saying that all of you sitting here this morning, what's the net worth of souls here this morning? That's impressive, really, if you stop and think about it. And then I think about, I, as I thought about, you know, uh, responsibility, I thought about John Curry, you know, Secretary of State of the United States of America, and he's jetting around all over the world trying to restore peace, and I, I want to respect his position and responsibility, and, you know, of course, the, the terrorist issue is forefront burner, and, you know, they're trying to figure out what to take place and, you know, how we could deal with this, uh, but, you know, in, in reality... Uh, what it comes down to is, is changing men's hearts. And uh, I'm not saying they can't make some difference or, or do some benefit, 
But to think that we have a responsibility that just is important. Uh, we're dealing with an asset this morning. We're dealing with souls this morning that have uh, a never-ending life. And uh, so it's important. Thinking, I like this expression as I thought about Jesus. He knew the price that had to be paid before he came to earth. He knew that cross experience was there. And as he prayed in the garden, he asked, from a human perspective, I believe his flesh recoiled from that, uh, what he was going to face. But yet he knew there was no price that was too high to pay. He was willing to have his blood spilled there on Calvary for the sins of all the way back. Adam and Eve, starting with Adam and Eve, that's where it started. His blood covered those sins all the way up through the Old Testament and then on beyond into the future. And, you know, that, that is, that is mind-boggling if you stop and think about that. I don't know how many sins there would be. And yet his blood covered all those sins. Into the future. I don't know when the future ends. God knows that. Only God knows that. But yet his blood covered the sins of the future and all the way back to Adam and Eve. Jesus' words were, the soul is the most valuable thing in the world. And how many times do I, uh, can I, can I get a grasp on that vision that Jesus had, that the soul is worth more than the whole world? I, uh, as I was meditating on this subject, I, I, I couldn't help but pick off the book, The Calvary Road. And uh, this is, I think, he sums it up very well, some of the things that need to uh, uh, take place as we look at Calvary this morning. One of his quotes, quoting him, Roy uh, Hasten on the Calvary Road, It is no use to pretend we are broken before God and we are not broken in our attitude toward those around us. God nearly always tests us through other people. And he's saying that we need to come to the cross to recognize what took place there so that I, personally myself, can be broken. Our relation, quoting him again, our relationship with our fellows and our, fellow, our relationship with God are so linked together that we cannot disturb one without disturbing the other. Everyone that comes between us and another, such as impatience, resentment, or envy, comes between us and God. These barriers are sometimes simply thin veils, those veils which we can still, which we can still to some extent see through. But if we do not remove them immediately, they thicken into blankets and then from blankets into walls, and we are shut off from both God and our fellow man. Shut in ourselves. It is clear why these two relationships are so uh, closely linked together. God is love, and that's what our Sunday school lesson is about. That love, love for others, and the moment we fail in love toward others, we put ourselves out of fellowship with God, for God is love. God loves him, even if we don't love him. And in conclusion, I want to close with this short poem that he had in there. He humbled himself to the manger, and even to Calvary's tree, but I am so proud and unwilling his humble disciple to be. He yielded his will to the Father and chose to abide in the light. But I prefer wrestling to resting and try myself to do right. Lord, break me, then cleanse me, and fill me and keep me abiding in thee. That fellowship may be unbroken, and thy name would be hallowed in me. That's my prayer this morning.